morning. Um, I know you're all wondering what this is. Huh? I, I'm not going to tell you until after the message, so you have to stick around. <laughs> but um, I thought um, what we might do is uh, give you a couple examples to, to ponder on for a minute, because our message today is going to be talking about false teachers and unruly people in the church, and that's what Titus was talking about in the early day church. But um, let's start with this since I know I have your curiosity. Um, If I were to tell you from the back row, all the way up to the front row, I want you to come up here now, and I'm going to put some, there's water in here, but not really, okay. So, let's say there is water in here, and I put this soap in here, and I get it all soapy, and it's all bubbly, and it smells good, and I have a towel here. So I'm asking the back row, and I don't want you to do this, but we're just doing role play here. So the back row, all the way up to the front row, I want you to come back up to the front here, and I want you to wash yourselves before I give the message today. I want you to cleanse yourself with this water, this soap, and this wipe yourself off, and then you go back and sit. Now, had I not given you um, this introduction and I just came up and said, okay, I want everybody from the front row to the, to the back row to come up here and wash yourselves before I give the message today. What would you think? <laughs> you think it's kind of weird, right? And I said, well, you need to because I said so. You say, you said so. Uh, well, you'd want to say, what does God's word say about that? Is there anything in God's word that says anything about... Cleansing yourself ceremonially? Yeah, there is in the Old Testament, but would that apply to today? If somebody tried to do that to you? You wonder, man, what's this guy? Um, I'd sit in the back. Those in the back row, you could do this easy. You could kind of go like this and kind of sneak out the door and go someplace else, (laughs) right? Yeah, that's something we just don't do. Old Testament, it was good. New Testament, Nah, don't need it. All right. So that would be some kind of false teaching. That's what we're kind of leading up to in today's message. Um, For those that are visiting with us, we've been doing a series in Titus. And let me kind of give you a summary of where we've come from so far. Um, We started right at, we're still in chapter 1. And the first part of the... Titus in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we talked about being a servant, being a servant of God. And we learned that it requires um, knowing what your calling is as a servant, knowing the truth from God's word, and requires knowing your audience. And then we also learn, as God's people, what it was in verse 5 through 7 of being Christ's church. And here, if we're to be a church, number one, we learned that there has to be leaders. You just can't go on willy-nilly without having leaders, no organization. Because if there's no organization, be kind of disruptive, chaotic. And then if a church is to be a church, leaders have qualifications. We learned there's certain qualifications. One, through his family, you see through the family, the leader of the church would have, be the spiritual leader of a family and be an example to that, to the family. Be an example to himself, the way he orders his life, how he would interact with others, and how knowledgeable is this individual of God's word and living God's word out in their life. Well, today's message now is going to focus on two types of individuals. One, false teachers. You ever heard that term, false teachers? And the other is unruly people. So there are these different kinds of people that Titus was going to be faced with as he ministered to those on the island of Crete. Now, the letter warns Titus of false teachings that are going to, could potentially undermine this young church. You've got to remember, this is a young church in Crete. And so Titus was sent there to set up leaders, to establish leaders in the church, and also 
to ensure that the Word of God is being taught properly. During Titus' time there, there was a large Jewish population in Crete. And of course, uh, throughout scriptures and the epistles, you will see that um, there's a few of those believers that got converted, they still brought over some of their thoughts about Judaism, like ceremonial washings, being circumcised. You know, that was a requirement in order to be, quote, a true believer, a Christian. So Titus warns of some of these false teachings that could undermine the church. So Paul, he gives advice and instructions now to all kinds of people there in this young church. And just like you walk in here, we're all different, aren't we? We have different characters. Uh, we are young people. There's people from different cultures, uh, men and women, um, lots of different types of people. And so Titus is warned by Paul, you're going to be dealing with all these kinds of people in Crete. And so beware of the kinds of people you'll be working with so you can be effective. And he exhorted Titus to be keeping a, a close eye on the people in Crete, a very close eye, and to reprove them with severity as the people there were addicted to lying. They were addicted to wickedness, idleness, and they were addicted to having this desire for financial gain. That's what the culture was like then when Titus was on the island of Crete. So Titus was called to oppose their vain traditions, their Jewish fables, and at the same time to show them that the observation of the laws and ceremonies are no longer in effect. No longer in effect. So let's read through Titus chapter 1. Versus, uh, is the TV, the TV's not on up here. That way I don't have to look backwards. Wish I had, sometimes I wish I had eyes in the back of my head. But That was the best thing you ever did, Don, is get that screen up there. When it works. Okay. All right. So, Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. For there are many insubordinate both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind, their conscience, are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Do you see any political correctness here in Paul? Not at all. You know, we're so used to political correctness in our society today. If we came out and made a statement like this on, on, uh, to, in the public, we would be on the news Immediately. There's no political correctness here with Paul. He tells it like it is. This is the way it was. So there's no misunderstanding here what was going on in Crete. So let's take an, ex uh, an examination now, verse by verse. And verses 10 through 11 we're called to deal with the false teachers. If we are to recognize and confront the false teachers, we must know what their profile is. What are they like? 
And, and what I love about the Word of God, you know, it shows us there's no mystery about who a false teacher is, is there? You know, somebody came to you and said, oh, what's a false teacher? No, I don't know. Well, Paul makes it very clear to Titus. What does the profile of a false teacher look like? Well, we see what? They're insubordinate. They're idle talkers. Deceivers. And then we see here, look out for the circumcision. Watch out for the believers who claim to be saved, claim to be Christians, but yet they're practicing the law. And it says here that such men tend to be empty talkers. Ah, you know any empty talkers? Boy, it seems like in the political arena there's sure a whole lot of empty talking going on. There was a lot going on then, too. You know, vain things, senseless things, things that don't make any sense, and they don't matter. <laughs> well, I don't want to say that, because there's somebody who said, what does it matter? But they're senseless things. Senseless things. But the content, they sound, the content, they, sound so, they can sound so impressive. They say, wow, you know, they're so intellectual. They seem to be so smart. But when you look at all the facts behind it, you see that the content and what they say is useless and there's no value in it. There's nothing there. It's empty. Empty. I'm sure you've run into people like this. I know I have in, in, in my career at, uh, at work. Well, in the final analysis, they're deceivers. Deceivers, one who de deceives the mind and the thinking of another. That's what their goal is, their objective, is to get you to think like they're thinking, to Dece deceive you away from the truth into something that's a lie. We see these people, they're dealers in myths, and they're seasoned with the commandments of men. Just like here, I said, hey, come up and wash yourself before I give the message today. Well, I, I made that up. That's, that's from me. That's not from God. This is what they were doing. Turning others away from the truth to serve the commandments of men and not God. And in verse 11, we see that we must know the fruit of these false teachers. And again... Paul describes to Titus what the fruit of their work is. He's very clear on it. Again, no political correctness here. I like this, whose mouths must be stopped. Boy, that's... Have you ever said that to anybody? Your mouth must be stopped? I know sometimes I think that. We see mouths that are unstoppable, that just keeps flapping. Just keeps going. You can't convince them about anything. They just keep going, go, 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 go. And the unfortunate thing, they subvert households. Teaching untruths. Polluting the whole family. And their goal in the case in, in, in Crete was for dishonest gain. Well, false teachers are silenced by having their, teacher, their teachings refuted by godly leaders and believers who know the word of God. That's how you do it. You refute what they believe by the truth of God's word. When you encounter somebody like this, don't quarrel with them. Listen to what they have to say. And with great patience, think through what does the word of God have in mind to contradict and refute what they're saying to you. And that takes patience. Because I know, I know me, sometimes I want to get in there and you know, jump right in there and cut them off, right? Hey, you can't believe that. That's what the Word of God says. Well, you got to not quarrel. Quarrel is just going to escalate, and the conversation's going to, voices are going to rise, get higher and higher and higher. Before you know it, you're not listening to them, they're not listening to you. So it takes patience. It takes patience. 
It's interesting, we were having this conversation a few weeks ago, Jake, remember we were talking about somebody that was saying something that was kind of off, and the conversation started escalating, escalating, and you got to a point, uh, conversation done, we're not going anywhere. Thing is, you don't want to argue. But just remember this, if they don't listen and they want to argue, even the Word of God has a, a message for, for them. And this is something I learned early on in my Christian walk. And I never lost this. It's in 2 John chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive them into your what? Into your house. Nor greet them. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Interesting, isn't it? See, the Lord knows what could happen. You too could begin to believe on what is a false lie. But don't even greet them. Refute their teaching. And refuting false teaching requires one... To understand where the source of truth is. Do you understand where the source of truth comes from? Where, what is it? What's your source of truth? The Bible. That's our source of truth. Okay, well, here's mine now. So, It's the Bible. That's where I go for the source of truth. It's not what Noad believes or what Don believes or you know, Matt or anyone else. It's what the Bible says. Not in what we believe. So when you see somebody like that, you want to bring them over, you know, come on over, let me show you. You believe that? Let, let's, let's see what the Bible has to say. Bring them alongside, along the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? So they might see it for themselves. Use the Word of God so that when they see it in the Word of God, who's speaking to them? Yeah, the Lord is. Why? Because this is God's word. See, it's not you anymore. It's not Stephanie. It's God's word. Does that have power? You know, if I show you from God's word, is it going to have more power that you see it there than if I just say it? You know. Yeah, Tom, if I just said, I remember Tom, <laughs> when we first visited Tom, we were always doing that, right, Tom? Always coming to the word of God. What does the word of God say? You had these ideas, but what did you always do? Let's see what the Word of God says, Tom. Not what Howard believes, but what does the Word of God say? Big difference. That's what you want to do with false teachers. What I thought it would do for some fun here, and I think it's fun because I like this stuff. Um, first of all, to refute, we need to have the source of truth, which is the Word of God. And, um, whoops, I don't want to go there yet. That's another example. You probably saw that and went, oh, what is this? Uh, I think Dorothy and Angelo might know what that was. If Eric was here, he would know what it was. He went through this last year with me. But... Um, You've got to be knowledgeable of the Word of God. You need to be knowledgeable of the great doctrinal truths of the Word of God. And, uh, and it helps to know what some of the teaching is from other people that you might come in, in contact with. Uh, is there anybody that, well, I know Dorothy and Andrew, you can't do this because you've got a gate around. You've got a fortress so nobody can get to your front door. But do you have anybody that comes to your door on Saturday mornings or maybe Saturday afternoon? Yeah, there's a couple groups that they go out, and every once in a while, hey, praise the Lord, you'll get some believers, you know, from the local church going around sharing the gospel and handing out tracts. You know, praise the Lord, fantastic, that's a good thing. But there's some out there that, eh, they're kind of sneaky, you know. They're trying to offer you something, and you listen, and when they start out, you know, you just have to ask them a question. Ask a couple questions, you know, they try to figure out who these people are, right? And oftentimes, you can tell based upon their answers. So what I thought I would do is, um, ah, before I go there, see, I gave you this, this hint here. Anybody know what this is? 
I know, Kathy, you do. You've seen it on the table many times. It's a dive table, okay? Now, this is a source of truth. And if you don't follow this dive table, the source of truth is one of two things are going to happen. You're going to have a serious lung injury for the rest of your life, or you will die. And that's the truth. If you don't follow this table to the letter, you put yourself at risk. It's as simple as that. Now, the U.S. Navy developed this over, over the years, and um, today they don't have this, they have this car. I use the car because I know how to use it, but it's all on a dive computer nowadays. The thing is, though, this is the source of the truth. So when I go diving, and I usually do multiple dives, this is very critical when you do multiple dives, the reason why is there's a lot of physiological changes going on and physics going on in your body because you're breathing in compressed gas. When you breathe in compressed gas and you go down to two, three, four, five atmospheres, breathing compressed gas, there's a big change that's going on in your body with compressed gas. Like you breathe in 21% oxygen and how many percent nitrogen? Ah, 79. So you've 79%, so what happens, your tissues are building up all this nitrogen in your body. Well, these tables tell you how deep you can go and how much interval time you have to have to off-gas all this nitrogen you suck in you know, during your dive so that you can safely do a second dive. So if you don't follow this, you're going to have problems. You're gonna have a lung you could have a lung expansion injury. You could have um, nitrogen you know, injury, and you could die. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. So this source of truth for diving. You don't follow it, you're putting yourself at risk. The Word of God is the same way. If you don't follow the source of truth, you put yourself at risk, your life at risk, and the person you're talking to. Because you don't have the truth. You don't know what the truth is. So if you're not so knowledgeable of the Word of God, somebody comes to your door, you begin to believe in the lie, you're deceived, you start believing the way they're believing, what could happen? Ah, you actually could turn away from the faith. Or if you're not a believer, but you've been hearing Christian teaching, you've been hearing teachings of this group and this group and this group, and then you finally lean over to this other group and not the true gospel, what could happen? Your eternal life is in jeopardy. In jeopardy. That's not a good thing. Not a good thing. So, what I've done is here's the source of truth, the Bible. Here's some verses. You might want to jot them down. Hopefully you can see it. I can see it from here. And I have not so good eyesight. But we see from the Word of God that this is our authority. And it's very important that we understand the authority of the Scriptures. Um, I like the top one. It says, all scripture is inspired by who? Does it say inspired by man? No, inspired by God. And the purpose, what's the purpose? The last part. God may be complete. Okay. The men of God may be what? Complete and Thoroughly equipped for every good work. I like that. Thoroughly equipped, not just partially, haphazardly, but thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why it's important to know the Word of God, to be equipped. Okay? It's like when I use that dive table, I go out diving, I do four or five dives every day. I got to be equipped and either understand that dive table and use it for every dive, or I use my dive computer. I use my dive computer. I cheat because it's simpler to use. But I have to do that. If I don't do that, I'm putting my life at risk. And Kathy's going to hear, hear from me. And I'll hear from her saying, hey, uh, you're not taking care of yourself. You know, you need to take care of yourself. Especially when you're 6,000, 7,000 miles away from home. And, you know, we're trying to communicate. And so I know she's worried. But I always let her know that I follow the rules. If she knew I didn't follow the rules, she'd be super worried. Okay, so here's some verses about how important it is 
that the Bible is seen as the authority of what we use. Now, in the Bible, it tells us clearly who God is. Who is God? Well, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you all believe that? I do, because it says so. Uh, isn't it interesting when you get all these individuals on these discovery channels and history channels, they're all trying to figure out who created the earth. They're still looking for signals from outer space. Sorry, Sam's in the uh, satellite industry. But, uh, yeah, they're out there looking for these radio signals of hoping there's life out there. And every time I see this on the History Channel, I said, man, they're spending all these billions of dollars. It's, it's real easy. Look at Genesis chapter 1. God created it all. <laughs> it's simple, right? It's not hard. Okay. Um, and we see that he's only God. And their point here, there's how many gods are there? One. Now, and I know in our mind we say, okay, there's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and who else? God the Son. Okay? There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, our logical, puny minds will think, eh, must be three gods. Well, if you think that, just go to what Scripture says. Scripture says there's how many gods? One. So if your thinking is that there's three, well, now, can't be right. So that's what we see in the Scriptures. There's one God. However, there's God the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all part of the Godhead. And we know that is the triune Godhead. Okay. All right, so this is some key scriptures on validating who God is. Now, you have some people, have you heard of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I'm not going to even put the name up there. But I thought, no, I'm going to put the name there because you've got to know who you're dealing with. If somebody says they have a Jehovah's Witness background, you need to know what they believe. Because if you don't understand what they believe, you don't know how to talk to them. You need to know what they believe so you can refute it from the scriptures should you get in a conversation with them. Now, I love it when they come to my door because there's usually two people. There's a leader and there's a trainee. Now, the leader usually is pretty hardcore. You know, they'll take a lot of these beliefs and they'll come up with something to excuse it all. But the trainee is pretty new. So I use the word, just use the word of God. I just open it up, and I even let them pull out their Bible, and I'll use their own Bibles, okay, and go through this. What do they believe? Well, let's take a look here. Jesus Christ is not one God with the Father. If somebody said that to you, how would you refute that? Could you refute that statement? Should they say that to you? should be able to through the word if you know it okay now the last one is really interesting because I, I forgot about this one <laughs> if somebody said to you well Satan is the originator of the trinity of doctrine oh really scriptures talk very clearly a triune godhead it's not of Satan, it's of God. Okay, how about the Mormons? Well, let's just pick one out here. Ah, there are three gods, separate in personality, united in purpose, in plan, and all the attributes of perfection. And then the last one here, the last part. The Father has a body of flesh and bones, intangible as man's. Wow, have you ever heard that? How would you respond to that? Okay, now this is, this, I put the, where this came from. This is not something I made up. Okay, this is what they believe. I just wanted to show you that this out there, do you know how to refute it? Here's that one. God is not omnipresent, meaning he's not everywhere at one time. But we know that's not true. 
That's one of the characteristics of God. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. When you pray to the Lord, does he hear all your prayers? Yeah, he does. He hears everything. At the same time, because he's God. And there's some strange things here about there never was a time when there were not gods and worlds. And by the way, they believe that you are a god, you become a god. There's all kinds of strange things that go on with their teaching. But know what it is. Know how to refute it. And the only way you get to know that, again, is knowing what the Word of God says. Okay? How about the person of Jesus Christ? The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Whoops. And there's a last part of it. It's kind of interesting because I've been talking with my brother on this particular verse. If you see the word, and this is what I love about the word of God, it interprets itself. It says, in the beginning was the word. So let's say you're a new believer and you ask the question, uh, what's the word? Is it, is, it, is it the Bible? Is it what somebody says? Now, what is the word? It's the Lord Jesus. How do we know? Because in verse 14 it says, and the word became what? He became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? So we know the word is God. So it, and, it's, and it's Christ. So in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So now we know Jesus is God. That's just one scripture. There's many others. Okay? Um. Here's some other verses you might write down about the person of Christ. Um, and this is a good one, too. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. Well, that's a key one, isn't it? Your faith is in futile. Your faith is futile if he had not risen from the dead. Reasoning. Christ went to the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. There was a penalty to be paid. Jesus stood there for you. He paid your price. You should have been there. I should have been there. But he was there. He paid the price. The ultimate sacrifice. Now, sin requires a penalty, doesn't it? God says there's a penalty, and the penalty is death. He's very clear on that. So, if the father was not satisfied with his son dying on the cross, would his son risen from the dead? No. But the fact he did rise from the dead showed the penalty was paid. It was paid in full. And the Lord said on the cross, it is finished. It was paid. And the resurrection is just proof that he rose from the dead. The penalty was paid for the sins of each one of us. That's amazing. Okay? Very key. Well, JWs, he's not the Jehovah God. He is not God. So those are some of the things that JWs believe. God was not raised in flesh, but in a spiritual body. Well, he's got spirit and flesh. Mormons. Okay? Let's take a look at just a couple things here. Um, notice that first one. <laughs> Among the spirited children of Elohim, the firstborn was and is Jehovah or Jesus Christ, to whom all others are juniors. Okay. Jesus Christ was the executive in the work of creation, aided by Michael, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Peter, James, John, Joseph. Joseph who? Oh, Smith. Oh, interesting, isn't it?
And then he is essentially greater than all others because of his unique status in the flesh as the offspring of a mortal mother and an immortal or resurrected and glorified father. Uh, Don, could you explain that one to me later? <laughs> I mean, this is so out of, out of touch, out of touch with the scriptures. But again, I want you to know what you're faced with. This is what they believe. He died on the cross, rose again, is coming again in power and glory to set up his kingdom on earth. Okay? Sin. The area of sin. There's none righteous, not even one. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's none that is good. We all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. These are some of the verses on sin. And the JWs believe that sin is falling short of God's mark of perfection, transgression of his own righteous law. No descendant of Adam is free from sin, all inherit, all inherit it from the first man. Sounds so good so far. Everyone is born into sin. Sounds good so far. But what do they believe about who pays the penalty for sin? That's the key. How's the sin question dealt with? Mormons. Now this is, this is one that I forgot about. That top one. Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. Really? Or how about the third bullet? Adam cried, because of my transgression, my eyes are open, and in this life I shall have joy. Wow. Really? Simple, salvation is through Christ. Here's some other verses. It's through Christ alone. It's nothing else. It's as simple as that. Through Christ alone. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son shall not see life. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Simple as that. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith what you believe in Christ. That saves you. Your faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. And I like this. Man, I'm glad the Lord finished this off with this. What? Not by works, so that what? No man should boast. Nobody's going to be boasting in heaven how they got there. They're going to be boasting in the Lord, saying, I got there because the Lord... Your hands were pierced. Your, your, my hands, your hands were pierced, and you died on the cross for me. That's the only thing you can boast in. He is what you're going to be boasting in. It's the work of Christ. Okay? This is what the JWs believe. And if you want these later and write these down, you can go ahead. You need to move on here. And then salvation. Again, bottom line, salvation from Mormonism or JWs is all based on a system of works. I need to do something in order to be right with God. It's as simple as that. It's not based upon what Christ did on the cross. But I just wanted you to see some of the teachings that came out, come out of some of these groups that come to your door. Okay, so to continue on here, we're called to deal with unruly people. There's going to be unruly people that come. You're going to run into these folks, but we're called to deal with them. And in this case, in 13 and 14, we have 
One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. This prophet was a Greek prophet, well-known during Titus' time by the Cretan people. And uh, he, was a, he was a Greek, and uh, he described the, the character of these Cretans very well. And what he said was absolutely true because Paul knew of their character in Crete. And it lined up with what this son of Crete was saying about the Cretans. So it was true that they're liars, evil beasts. And what they will do is, as liars, they're really trying to promote their evil agenda, satanic agenda, and that's what it is. Nothing more than a satanic agenda against those who believe the true word. And they're characterized as useless, unproductive, living people. That's what it says about lazy gluttons. There's nothing that satisfies their appetite. Nothing. And then, verse uh, 14, we see that Know what to ignore now when we find unruly people in our midst. Or when you run against a a person of unruly character. Know what to ignore with them. And it says not giving heed to fables. Not giving heed to rules made up by men. Don't fall for it. Always go to the word. Now Jewish myths here would be those things that were... Um, stories amplifying what was taught in the Old Testament, all the laws, the ceremonies, and so on. They wanted to incorporate those into the young church. They wanted to take these practices and bring these practices into the church. But you know, when you really look at all those practices, a lot of those practices were for two reasons. One, to show how, what a sinner they are. Like if you look at the Ten Commandments, They're all good rules, aren't they? Aren't they all good rules to live by? Yeah, they are. But will it save you? No. The law was given for a purpose, to show the dirty, filthy, rotten sinners that we are. It was a ruler to come up alongside of us to show us who we really are, to show us what our heart really is like. Not to live by it for righteousness' sake, but to show us we are sinners and we need to be delivered from that sin. We need to take care of that issue. Well, Paul here, he dismisses such legal traditions and warns Titus to confront. Don't listen to but confront it. Bring forth the word of God to them so that they may be sound in their faith. That was the whole goal, so that they, the believers would always be sound in their faith and not be shaken by it or carried away by these fables or truths that are not scriptural. And then in verse 15, know what to think with unruly people. Have an idea what they're thinking. To the pure, all things are pure, means those who truly believed in Christ, they're free from the law. And it means they're righteous before a holy God. Now, they're declared righteous. Every believer in this room is declared righteous before the Lord because of Christ's work on the cross. We're declared. But, uh, Noah, are you, are, you are you made righteous? In Christ only, though, right? But we're not a righteous people, are we? We're still unrighteous. We're still sinners. We still have that character, that old nature. We sin in the flesh still, but we're declared righteous before God. Now we see those that, there are those that are defiled, unbelieving. We see these, nothing is pure. All the fables, all their beliefs, their unbelief, all the false ideas and facts that they have in their own mind, 
They're defiled and they continue in that state. They won't shake it. They won't leave it. These are people who have set up this external code to get right with God, to work their way to heaven, to be righteous before God. It's kind of like setting up a big ladder between here and heaven. I keep going up these rungs as I'm more righteous. I do all these things for God's sake, getting more righteous with God. Am I ever going to reach up to heaven like that? It's impossible. No way. It's impossible. But those who are defiled think they live by this external code. That's going to make them right with God, and they're going to be perfect before God. That's why they do it. That's why they believe so strongly. They're unclean before God. They're going to fail to live up to that code. Now in verse 16, know what to believe about unruly people. You see here a list of a profile here, what to believe. Yeah, they profess to know God. Sounds good. But what's coming from their mouth? Is there a test of life that shows that they're truly believers? Does their life show that Christ is in their life? Are they living the life? Well, here it shows their test shows the reality. False teachers, unruly people can be super highly religious people in their practice and what they say, but their actions often tell a truer tale of who they really are. The Lord says, you shall know them by their what? Fruit. You will know them by their fruit. And that's what Paul is saying to Titus. You're going to know them by their fruit. They're going to look religious. They're going to profess to know all these truths, but they deny the true God. Such people are not followers of Christ. They're not children of God. Well, basic nature of all these false teachers and some unruly people is that, bottom line, it makes them unacceptable to God. They're only going to be acceptable to God through what? Through Christ. That's the only way you're going to be acceptable, is through Christ. Christ alone. So when you see these folks, just ask yourself, do they bear the marks of a believer? Do they bear the marks of a child of God? Are they born again? If they're truly a child of God, they will resemble Christ-like character. What are some of the lessons we learned from today's verses? One, we want to confront, but we want to do it with patience. We want to do it without arguing, with the goal in mind that they'll change the way they think and that you might lead them to salvation, that they might know the true God, that they might know the Lord that we know that they might know what the Bible says, not what we say, but what the Bible says about what they believe. So, to the believers here, and to leaders, believers, everyone in this room that's a believer in Christ, what are the lessons learned? Well, one, there's, there's a time to listen to those who disagree, and there's also a time to what? Silence them. You just don't keep on letting them go. That's a conversation Jake and I had a few weeks ago, right? You silence them. The next lesson, and this, this can be hard sometimes if you let the flesh go in there, but that's what prayer is so important about. You commit this time to the Lord. Even when you're communicating, be praying to the Lord to give you the words of wisdom. Give the word to share with them. But be tactful. 
You know, tactful honesty is what? More useful in ministry than servile political correctness. We're so used to political correctness today, but don't get caught up in that. Be very honest, but tactfully. Next, when you turn your ear to error, you turn your back on the truth. That's true. And lastly, actions often tell a truer tale than words. Your actions will show. Lessons learned from today's verses in Titus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come here today and want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And that as it says, it equips us for every good work. And we know, Lord, we can trust in your word. We can always rely on it. There might be times we may not understand it, Lord, but we come to you that you might give us understanding. And for those things that we don't understand, we just believe by, by faith, Lord, because you wrote it. And Lord, make us men and women of the word. Make us people, Lord, who will go before this world today who contradict your word contradict your commandments, contradict everything you stand for, and that we might do it tactfully, that we might do it, that we might win souls for you, that we might see the kingdom increase as a result of our contact with these individuals. So, Lord, we again thank you for the blessings of your word, and may we go out from this room today and be a people with a shining light to bring a light to the world into a dark world, Lord, who doesn't know you. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Okay, Matt.